Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank a couple sponsors that we were able to secure for this season, uh, season five of the Scuttlebutt. It's exciting to be able to get sponsors for this. Uh, we're really thankful for them. Uh, the first one, you might have heard them already, is D&D Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. The Scuttlebutt's been pairing with D&D for quite some time. Uh, D&D began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s and has grown into a full service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. These are state-of-the-art scrapyards with deep roots in the community and a strong commitment to the service of their customers. D&D accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D, &D, that's D and D, autosalvage.com. Thank you, D&D, &D, for supporting this podcast. Uh, been wonderful collaborating with you, and uh, we're looking forward to, to being with you uh, all through season five here. We'd also like to thank a new sponsor for the Scuttlebutt, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Tobacco-Free Adagio Health is dedicated to preventing and reducing tobacco use and increasing education about tobacco hazards and secondhand smoke. Of course, the best way to be tobacco-free is to never start. And we'll be sharing more about the many programs offered by Tobacco-Free Adagio Health in the future. You can check out more of their work at tobaccofree.adagiohealth. That's A-D-A-G-I-O health.org. Tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Org. Um, really excited to have sponsors on board uh, for the Scuttlebutt, and uh, I hope you enjoy this upcoming episode. It was that moment where I was like, oh, wow, like what I'm doing as an artist, it, it actually is important and it directly affects people that I've never met and um, gives them a little solace in like what their Marine was doing up to almost their last moment. Welcome everyone to The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club, whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Uh, joining me for this coming episode will be longtime co-host, Catherine Guyon. Uh, she's a newscaster out of Wheeling, West Virginia, also not a veteran, as well as myself. We're both not veterans. Um, and a lot of what The Scuttlebutt has been is bringing you veteran stories uh, so that we as civilians can sort of understand military culture. And we've had a long running series of episodes uh, about veterans and artists. And this is why I'm super excited for this particular episode. I recently came across a video interview of a Marine combat artist. Her name was Elise McKelvey. And I have no idea that you could go into the Marines and and your MOS could be an artist, uh, like actually drawing, painting, uh, that you would go into combat zones and you would sketch uh, on a pad. It's, it was incredible to me, it kind of blew my mind. Um, so I reached out to Elise and she happened to be uh, a part of the uh, National Museum of the Marine Corps. Uh, joining me with Elise will be Christopher Battles. He is the Marine Corps artist in residence at the National Museum of the Marine Corps. Uh, both incredible artists in their own right. Uh, and we dive into what is a combat artist. And this conversation is kind of similar to the conversation we had with Justin Merriman earlier on in the season, the war photographer. It's sort of a very different way to tell a story. Now, Justin's idea was, I wanna get really specific. I wanna find the quiet moments here. And, and they sort of, as, as artists do the same thing, uh, but they might witness it while out in the field. They're also, a uh, big difference here is that Justin was a civilian and that they are trained Marines. You know, um, every Marine rifleman, they are trained Marines and then put in, you know, deployed. And then they sketch this art. Uh, and we found this, Catherine and I found this fascinating. So I, I think this is a really interesting conversation uh, to have with these two incredible artists. We're gonna bring up some of their art for them to be able to talk about. And uh, so if you are listening to this as a podcast, you downloaded this and are listening on the way into work, pop over to YouTube uh, and listen to the later half of the episode where we start to bring up some of their art on screen that they are able to uh, give us uh, sort of a more full story about how this art came to be, uh, how they've grown as artists, what, what they are looking for, um, the, what type of Im impressions they're trying to leave, the story they're trying to tell. Um, it's really interesting stuff, really, really cool. I, I just hope that if, if you're a new listener, you go back and you listen to some of our other episodes uh, about artists and veterans and, and many of the other conversations that we've had, but also 
be sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell. Leave us a comment. Uh, give us a review. It, it really helps us out. Uh, we really appreciate the support uh, of all of our audience. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, and without further ado, our conversation with Elise McKelvey and Christopher Battles, which is just a cool name uh, to begin with. But uh, enjoy. My name is Christopher Battles. I'm a uh, I'm the artist in residence for the Marine Corps, and I work here at the National Museum of the Marine Corps. I uh, have been a combat artist uh, um, for 15 years, I suppose, 2006, but I was a Marine. I started out as a young Marine reservist. I enlisted at 17 with the permission of my parents, and I went to boot camp and turned 18 in boot camp. I uh, was a reservist, and so I went to college as well during that time frame, and I did my normal, uh, what we call drills for the reserve which is the one weekend a month and the two weeks out of the year training in various places. Uh, I always saw combat art everywhere, which was a very good experience. They, the Marine Corps was very good even back then about putting prints out for uh, the history. So for example, Colonel Waterhouse, who was the first artist in residence, did a whole series of paintings of Marine Corps history from 1775 all the way up through current day. Mm -hmm. So at least at that time. And so um, I saw those as a young Marine everywhere and I was very inspired by them. I, I, I thought, what a great thing this is. And I didn't know that there was an art program or any kind of, I didn't know that my recruiter never told me that. Unfortunately, I was a computer operator as a MOS at first and uh, then became a public affairs Marine in my reserve unit, which is a very good job too, by the way. But I didn't know there was an art program. I, I, had, I did eventually hear about this thing called combat artists because I met when the Gulf War was happening I met a combat artist that was coming through um, our unit um, doing some admin administrative thing and then before going overseas. And so I found out there's a such thing as a combat artist. And um, I didn't think anything of it after that. I got out of the reserves in, in 1996. And then in 2005, I found this link on a website, a blog about this combat artist, Michael Fay, who was a warrant officer in the Marine Corps. He was over in Iraq and he was doing combat art. I was, I was very pleased. I emailed him and said, this is great, good job, this is wonderful. I'm glad they're doing the program. And I explained to him how I was a former Marine and a current artist. I was working at the time um, doing artwork. I was living in Florida, doing portraits and landscapes and that sort of thing. I finally developed my career to where I was full-time doing freelance artwork. Uh, and so he was, he was pleased to know there was a former Marine that was an artist. And so he said, could we see your work? Well, one thing led to another, and I was interviewed by the uh, director of the Marine Corps History Division, Colonel Camp, and I was interviewed by Charlie Grove, who was a former combat artist and was the art curator at the time, mm -hmm. and he then became eventually our deputy director uh, of the museum, but he had interviewed me, and they said, hey, would you be willing to re-enlist and come on board again, and I was 38 years old at the time, and I was like, okay, and I asked the wife, and you know, and she was fine with it. Uh, and because she had been expeditionary, a little story, uh, she had, we had met as missionaries in Haiti, and she, so she knew what it was like to be sort of deployed in a foreign environment, um, where it wasn't necessarily always um, safe feeling necessarily, so she was okay with it, and so I enlisted uh, 20 years, one month, and one day after I had originally enlisted, I rejoined the Marine Corps as a reservist and was mobilized to active duty, and came to Quantico, and within a month of coming to Quantico, I was over in Iraq doing a short-term deployment as a combat artist. Okay. What year, of, yeah. <clears throat> what year was that? What year was that, Chris? So yeah, 2010? I, in 2005, no, in 2005, I met with Mike I, via email and then kept correspondence up, was interviewed in early 2006. Mm -hmm. All the paperwork was begun in January or February, 2006. I re-enlisted in June. So June 28th of 2006, came on board on reserve orders, RTO orders, we call them, um, for training real quick for a month in August of 2006 and then reported full-time as a, as a mobilized reservist on active duty to Quantico in October, or September rather, September of 2006. And in October of 2006, I was in Iraq. That was quite a fast pace. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was a, that was a busy time in Iraq. And it was right, right before the surge. Right, exactly. This was, this was still a very troubling time this was before the um, surge and the great the um, the Anbar awakening mm -hmm. was just about to happen. But as a matter of fact, it started happening right around that time period. And yeah, it was big time in Iraq at the time. Uh, there's a lot more I want to dive into with all of this, but I also want to get to Elise. Elise, thank yeah. you also for joining the Scuttlebutt today. And if you'd like to introduce yourself, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> my journey kind of begins in, I didn't grow up in a military family. First of all, I, my grandpa actually served as an artist for the DOD, which I didn't know until I joined the Marine Corps. And my dad and my uncle were in the army for a few years. Um, but other than that, there was no really military background. Uh, That's so a lot in more military background than many well, families. So. Well, I guess so. But it wasn't like a something we talked about. It wasn't something that influenced at all, like my upbringing. Um, it was never like a prominent part. We were a very artistic family, though. Uh, however, so fast forward to art school. I went to the Art Institute of Boston. And in 2010, we had a class called the History of Illustration. And just for about 10 minutes during this class, they brought up something called combat art. And I was like, what, what the heck is combat art? I'd never heard of this before. I instantly went home that night and started researching combat art. And I came across the Marine Corps Combat Art Program. Uh, Chris Battle's blog, as well as Mike Faye's blog, uh, showed up. And I don't think it took me very long to start cold calling all these people asking, how do I get into this? program. I don't know what it is that is drawing me towards this pun intended, but I need to be a part of this. And um, I remember Mike Faye telling me, make sure that you want to join the Marine Corps to be a Marine first and an artist second. Mm -hmm. um, so for two years, I was really battling this decision. At first, I was going to go officer because that's what you do when you have a college degree. Uh, but I felt that my best route was going enlisted because if I wanted to share the Marine Corps story, I really wanted to experience it from that uh, ground level on up. And I felt personally that I couldn't properly tell these stories if I just went straight onto the officer side, especially with not being uh, hugely in a military family. Um, so in 2012, I graduated college. Uh, I went to boot camp and um, the journey continues. I serve in the Marine Corps and then the program at that time, as Chris can attest to, wasn't, there was some changes going on in the administrative side. So the program wasn't, didn't have a lot of funding for a few years there after Chris's deployments. Um, and in, I think Charlie Grow's 2015 uh, restarted the combat art program. And I had been doing art on the side, uh, practicing on my own, doing what I thought you were supposed to do as a combat artist, sketching on location. But really I had no idea. I didn't have much of a mentorship uh, side yet. So in 2016, Charlie brought me on, or 15, he brought me on into the program officially. And that's when I really started to get to work with Chris. Um, other artists like Victor Juhas, Richard Johnson, and then there was a officer May officer, CJ, uh, Captain Ballman, who represented the officer side and I was kind of the enlisted. And that's kind of how we are now. We've done a few deployments under the program, a lot of training opportunities, uh, covering training operations, because it's not just combat that we cover. We cover everything from the day-to-day -day life to the uh, fast-paced stuff, but that's kind of where we are today. I think Catherine, you can agree with me on this is that we felt the same way as you, Elise, whenever we found out about combat artists, we were like, wait, what? Like I, when I saw your video on Military Times, Elise, and we'll put the link here uh, uh, on oh, the gosh. video. It, it, it's a great interview. And it was something that really blew my mind, not only because your art and Chris's art are just so catching, they're so interesting. Um, they really capture you know, these, these pieces of humanity. And before on the scuttlebutt, we've had on war photographers, and that's sort of what you mainly think of, I, I, myself as a civilian, think of when I think of how do we capture moments in the military. I think a photographer. I wouldn't think that we would have a program in the Marine Corps for artists. Um, so what is combat artistry? For people who may be watching this uh, that don't have never heard about it, how did it start and, and why does the Marine Corps have it? I can go like my take on it. Uh, I think Chris is a lot more knowledgeable in terms of um, the history of it, but uh, we've been around since, was in 1942 is when the program officially was established. So we have work in our collection going all the way back to World War II, essentially. And obviously at that time, photography wasn't as prominent, a huge part of sharing stories and connecting civilians to what the service members are doing on the front lines was through art. 
as the years go go on, photography becomes more involved, and us at art as artists also adapt it. We'll we'll take photos on location if we just can't sketch quick enough, or if it's an area where um, maybe we can't have photography and we can only have our sketchbooks. So they kind of go hand in hand. But the Marine Corps is huge on tradition, and this program is the history of the Marine Corps. So uh, having artists share the stories of Marines is very important to um, who we are. And every service has a different version of what combat art is. The thing that sets the Marine Corps aside is it's always been Marines sharing Marine stories. Now, today we do have civilians who have proven themselves as what they call themselves war artists who have really been a part of the program for many, many years. And we trust sharing the stories of the Marine Corps, but they still have to witness these events from a first person's perspective. We don't just take photographs off the internet, paint a picture uh, without witnessing ourselves. There's a few situations where we'll do historical paintings, for, but for the most part, it's first person perspective. And I wanna know how those are selected, but I figured I'd get a little bit more uh, history uh, rounded out, Chris. Oh, sure. Well, she was very correct. We started officially in 1942. Um, General uh, Robert Denig, um, basically the entire public relations, was division of public relations started at that time officially. And he was called from retirement and started what they called Denig's demons. And they were combat correspondents, combat photographers, and combat artists mainly. And so you had this whole idea was to report back to uh, the country, what the Marines and the, and it was Army as well and had their, their programs. But for, for us, it was to report back to America what the Marines were doing. Because um, uh, General Denning said this is a people's war and they have a right to know what's going on. And so um, he also decided to have several different branches of this, you, have, you know, traditionally with the photography and the journalism and things like that. But he also valued the traditional rendering, the, the, the uh, illustration and combat art, because reportage art is what we are in a way. And we are, as Elise said, it's a first person account. So you have to go and experience these things um, and then create after visualizing it, seeing it, experiencing, you know, processing it through your artistic sensibility or filter, whatever you call it, all of your background. And then you put it down on canvas and paper and it, people will naturally relate to it a lot. There's just something very um, relatable about artwork mm -hmm. that some other media, media doesn't have. We, we like yeah. That. A huge question we always get is why why art in the age of photography? Um, but I always, you know, why do people go to museums then if if it's all about one way to document? I think every every way of documenting has its place, whether it's writing, photo, art. Um, you don't want to discount one whole genre of medium just because maybe there's a quicker way to express something. Also with art, it's pretty cool because you can witness a scene as the artist and you can take the key moments from that entire scene and put them into one right. image and share that story collectively in one format right. rather than as a photographer. Once you snap that photo, that's it. Right, absolutely. Well, that's kind of... Go ahead, Chris, and then I'll ask my question. I was just gonna say, uh, a lot of times people say, well, photographs don't lie. Well, in a way, they kind of sometimes do, or they can have things that get in the way of telling the truth. Mm -hmm. um, we we are able, as Elise said, we're able to we're able to compress time. We're able to tell a narrative specifically. We're able to filter out certain unnecessary things. Like sometimes you can take a photograph, and what is that thing in front of that person, or whatever? It's something blocked the shot, or you, you didn't take it at the right time, and it, it you know you can't mm -hmm. show the picture. You can't you can't tell the truth in a way just from the snapshot as well as you can with the artistic um, taking the time and making crafting the narrative and the composition for whatever drama or whatever. Um, so we have a, we have a value in that. It's much more um, it's, it's both emotional and cerebral and we can communicate. And I think on a deeper level. Yeah. And just, I've also noticed just from, because my primary job in the Marine Corps was actually um, photography, graphic design, and then the combat art was a secondary job, something I did when time fit. Um, but I found that um, I was attached to an infantry unit for a, a year and I was taking photos of them for about six months working up to a deployment. And not a lot of them came up and talked to me, you know, it was a little like awkward. But the minute I took my sketchbook out, all of a sudden I was surrounded by all these Marines, super curious, like, what are you doing? And instantly, just like that, I was like part of the crew. I, I think maybe it was 
the the camera was a barrier between me and them and they felt everybody knows what a camera is and what it does it's very accurate right Mm -hmm. um but they were very curious about the the sketchbook and it and there's so many photos of artists in our program surrounded by whether it's afghan children or marines or just people super curious and it just goes to show the how unique uh drawing on location is and sharing stories so what's that process like then to create something like this because obviously you know i look through your work before this and you know you have it behind you right now and i can see it it's so detailed and there's color to it and 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 life and i was looking at a couple of them on the internet and i had to do a double take i was like is this a photograph or is this a sketch because it was that realistic so obviously these things take time to develop that kind of detail so like what's the process like because obviously something as detailed as what you do can't always be done in the moment that you witness it so you know talk to us a little bit about that process of like sketching on location versus if you are able to like add more detail once you have more time like how does the process itself work to create one of these amazing pieces Chris, I think that's you're way more detailed than me, so you well, have a really good well, process. <laughs> well, this also gets to this also gets to the idea, um, and General Denig had this um, idea: send out as many different artists as you can, of course. So we also we, we do like to be realists. A lot of times we are very we are naturalists and we are realists as far as what we uh, how you classify us as artists. But we also like expressive artwork. We like we like sketchy things. So. I try to balance, I'm trying to get a little bit more loose in my techniques and I try to do a lot more color studies and sketches. Uh, so not every artist has the same process. So I wanna stress that we try to get as many different artistic, you know, people, lenses or whatever you wanna call them. Each individual artist has a different style. So Elise will do a certain way, CJ will do a certain way, Richard Johnson, Victor, um, uh, Jim Butcher, different people we have. They, they ha all have a different method, but I think generally speaking, we all go as, sketch artists and we take photographs um, but our focus is capture as much as we can uh, with your sketches and with your photographs and we even journal some of us will journal we'll sketch we'll write down people's names and events and you know even perhaps little bits of the weather and different things like that the lighting uh, whatever it is things of, of note that when we get back to the studio we can remember or refresh our memory and then it helps sometimes it also I've had um, from my journal, I've been able to contact the individual that was there even and say, do you have any more photographs or anything like this? Or what, what, what exactly were you doing in that area when I saw you, when I met you that one time? And they'll give more information. So it's relationships, it's um, the sketches are very valuable um, and any kind of visual reference you can gather, it's very valuable. Then you take that back. Um, well, some artists also though, will be, will paint in watercolor or some sort of color painting process that's quick and it's, you can do a little post-shot box, as they say, a little painting box and take it with you. It's all have to, it all has to be portable. And that's why a lot of times we're doing mainly sketches yeah. in theater. And then we come back to the studio and do paintings. But my process is go with my sketch pad. Sometimes I'll take a watercolor pad, do as much on site as I can, take as many photographs as I can, talk to people, write down notes, and then come back. And sometimes there's a studio in theater that you can work at in an office on a fob somewhere. Or sometimes it's mainly kind of waiting until you get back from deployment to the studio and then you create then you take the time to think about it and create a little more of the more fine art you know studio art things that tell the story perhaps in a more traditionally fine art way than reportage sketches yeah um I, we went to iraq myself and chris wasn't there with us it was myself um, and a few other artists and this was one of my first experiences being with artists that I deem mentors to me or like way farther along in their artistic journeys than I am. And it was an opportunity for me to see how they approach situations, learn from them. But then also I was able to act as the Marine sort of liaison connecting them to certain areas because they were just civilians. And when you see a Marine, you're automatically more trusting. Whereas yeah. when you see a civilian artist, you might be like, oh, we're not, who are you exactly? So or someone really from good. the Air Force or Navy. Yeah, like. someone from another bridge. <laughs> but, um, but I remember uh, sketching and drawing. We were there for only two weeks. And our whole goal was to get as much done as we could before coming back to the United States. Um, and so we spent a few nights, all-nighters, just drawing while everything was as fresh as it was in our memories. 
Um, and then we were able to have this like almost like an art gallery showing the, all the commands out there as a morale booster mm-hmm. for them to see like, hey, your job is important. You might have just been working on this computer and in your mind, it's like, oh, it's just another day. But the minute it turns into a sketch, uh, all of a sudden you have a rejuvenated uh, viewpoint on what it is you do and that it actually is important and it's worth documenting. And so we were able to show these sketches and paintings, some paintings, but like Chris said, most of those are done uh, in the rear, like in the studio, but it also allowed us to connect with them more and hopefully like a tumbleweed have more trips down the line with artists. And so when people are planning, whether it's deployments or training, they'll think, oh, right. There were those artists that one time their work was really cool. We want them to come out with us in the yeah. future. So that's a huge part of the purpose right now as well. One thing that you said that I want to circle back to is that you said you you thought you were doing what a combat artist was supposed to do. How did you, oh, yeah. what were you th- doing that you thought you were supposed to do and how did that transfer to what you should be doing or what yeah. an actual combat artist is? So for those um, from 2010, essentially until 2000 and um 15, late 2015, I hadn't really uh, seen any of these other artists and what they do on location, how they approach situations, drawing from life, because drawing movement in itself is, is very hard. And I, like you have gesture drawing classes. I had a, a bachelor degree in illustration, but drawing Marines and especially people that might not necessarily want you to draw them or like are a little like hesitant for you to draw them at first was all new for me. And um, it was it was just me out there with a bunch of Marines with my sketchbook and it was very nerve wracking. And so I just basically what I'm saying is I had to try and approach this on how I thought maybe the other artists approached it. Um, and that was just taking my sketchbook around and drawing when I could. Um, I had done a lot of research into the program, so I knew what it was that they were looking for. And my my setback at that time was my skill set just wasn't quite there yet. And the only way to get better at art and drawing is to keep doing it. So that was my main focus. And um, and then when the program was reestablished, I was like able to actually see how these artists really did approach and their confidence in going into situations, um, which I found was they weren't as they weren't equally as confident as I was. We were all very <laughs> hesitant. I thought like I had everyone up on a pedestal in my mind, and like they were they created the perfect sketch every single time their pencil touched the paper. And I learned mm-hmm. that that wasn't the case. And there might be thirty drawings of somebody with no arm because they moved away really quick, and then you had to figure out you had to wait for a marine to replace them so you could finish the sketch, or you just move on to another one. All these things that. Um, as a young artist, um, I thought everyone was perfect, and then I was the only one struggling, but I learned that everyone struggles. <laughs> well, here's one thing I want to say about this. So um, Elise manifested this notion of uh, a vocation. Uh, it's almost like a calling, mm-hmm. and so yeah. you have to have it in you. There's something about being a combat artist or a war artist, whether you're military or civilian. To be an effective one, you have to have a certain sort of operating system within you already. You have to have a certain amount of talent and certain amount of trainability, certain amount of flexibility, but you have to have in you this notion of, um, you already kind of have an understanding. And so at least she may say, oh, I didn't really know, but she was already practicing that which she needed to do. She just didn't know, she didn't have any feedback. And so that was what was great about when she got with Richard and Victor and CJ and, um, and to be mentored and to see them in action. And I, that's what I love about going out with some of these older artists or very experienced artists, I should say, is that you can get a, 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 a refreshing notion of how things are done and how things are, hey, everybody makes mistakes and you can say, oh, wow, okay, good. So I don't have to feel less confident. I can, I'm growing, I'm maturing, they're helping me, we're all a team. Uh, and so, uh, but you do have to have in you a sense of uh, a higher calling almost because you're going into an environment that is challenging, emotionally challenging, mentally challenging, uh, vocationally or talent challenging and you have to create these things and hopefully there'll be something that people want to look at and and to be of value to the country and to people who have relatives in the service or they have been in the service um, but you have you do have to have that sort of operating system in you um, 
to really be effective. And there has to be a sort of history of, of an artistic uh, bent, understanding of that. And you, you can't just accept somebody into this that, that can draw really good stick figures. Like there, right. <laughs> there has to be, right. you well, know. And, yeah, and they can, I, we've seen people, of course, um, in certain parts of military art, um, sometimes you'll see a person who may have been trained at a certain school and, and, but they've got a very rigid, you know, realistic, oh, look, I'm crafting, it looks exactly like the photograph, which is good. But sometimes you need that sort of, um, there's a looseness and a flexibility that that person might not have uh, either emotionally or they, they can't get out of the studio set, setting, right? So you need someone who's able to take that studio method and sort of throw it over their shoulder and go and get in the dirt and, and sketch and, and make mistakes and you know keep going and get sweat and blood and whatever on your uh, dirt on your you know sketchbook right and then really come back with these things and go okay here i have this is what i produced um some people just don't really understand that method or they don't do well with that method but we try to find the people that do yeah i'm interested in how you guys choose what moments that you capture because i find this when i speak with photographers or i'm a journalist myself so i capture things through video you know when you're out and you're deployed or you're with a unit there's a lot going on all the time and you're seeing a lot of things but when i look at your you know your work it's all focused on what seems like very specific moments so how do you pick which moments you want to capture because they're you know they seem like they're so specific almost like you froze time for an instant, is it like a feeling where you see something happen and you say, oh, this is it right here? Like, how do you how do you pick what moment actually, you know, ends up as the finished piece? Oh, man. <laughs> ah, well, this gets to that sort of unknowable, you know, you got to trust your instinct a bit. You also, mm -hmm. okay, so one thing as artists, we are, we are seers in a sense. We are, and I don't mean that in some sort of magical, mystical way, but it means <laughs> there's mysticism to it. We, we have to be open to what's going around visually. We have to be uh, connected. Um, we have to, in a sense, be empaths, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking around. And so so let's say you're on a patrol. And I think Mike Faye has talked about this a bit. So you're, you're on a patrol. Your head's on a swivel anyway. You've got your weapon. You've got your everything. You're geared up like a Marine. If you're a civilian, you're, in the, you're still there with the platoon. And you're, you probably have a helmet on and a black jacket, as we call it, body armor. And you're, but you're, your head is on a swivel for security's sake. And so as a Marine artist, for example, you're doing your work as a Marine, you're doing your job as a Marine, you're trying to be an asset to the patrol and not be a liability, but you're also looking around visually waiting for that moment because there's, you're, you are, you're looking for that moment and you're, you may or may not plan out what you want to do. Sometimes we will talk with the curators and they'll say, well, we don't have anything on artillery. We don't have anything on tanks or we don't have anything on whatever. And so you can go into a theater, a, a, a theater of operations and have in mind you know a plan and that's good and it's always great to do that but a lot of times as all plans do they go out the window when you actually get in the theater because things restrictions happen that you didn't foresee or opportunities happen that you didn't foresee and so you have to be willing to go okay we've got it there's a flight leaving whatever there's a convoy taking off we got a permission the sergeant major said this so we get on there we go and then you're just always waiting and watching so you do have to be a skilled you have to have another subset of skills which is watching and being uh, waiting for that opportunity yeah i've also found that like when i'm in um whether it's a training operation or or what have you that pretty much every moment has a way that you could interpret it to make a good art piece um and you look for maybe compositions of maybe there's a marine like chris's painting in the background where it's the marine rock paper scissors with the afghan children and it's it's very like silhouetted uh, which is great for a composition. Um, and there were actually other children around that, right, Chris? And you kind of yeah. took them out, out for the cup, the, just the to focus in on that moment. Yeah. But like, there's so many moments, uh, maybe we're on a flight and we're in the back of the uh, helicopter, the Osprey, and there's just Marines sitting there drenched in sweat and they're like half falling asleep. And you might sit there and think, oh, this is just a flight, but as an artist, we're like, oh, that's like a real moment that, that we want to capture. That's something that every Marine looking back will be able to connect to because we've all been on those flights sweating with our flak jackets and like 110 degree heat. Um, so I almost look at these situations like everything has potential. Right. Um, and then maybe back in the studio after I 
do sketches, which the sketches are usually situations that the Marines not moving as much. Maybe they're holding security or I have, we have tried to draw Marines while walking. It's, it's challenging and it's, they, they don't turn out very well, but most of the moments on location are those, we try to look for those areas where they might be doing something repetitive, like cleaning their rifle or tank maintenance, things that we know, even if that Marine goes away and another one comes, like the, the scene will relatively be the same. But uh, then going back into the studio, we'll look at everything as a whole and reassess what would make a good painting and what wouldn't. But everything, going back to what I said earlier, everything is important no matter what you're doing, whether it's you're on a computer or fixing a helicopter. Um, there's always something within that sequence that would make a good art piece. Well, it seems like you, Elise, you, you mentioned earlier about how you wanted to be able to understand what the Marines were going through before you really, you know, got into the art side of it. It seems like you're, and I love this, you're talking about moments that when you think about the military in a traditional sense that like us as civilians may not think about, but if you're somebody in the military looking at your work, those are moments that matter to people who are veterans or people who are currently enlisted. And I, and I love that, that like your art is kind of like by the Marines for the Marines, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, if you've never served in the military, you might have a certain idea of what it is that we do um, in our job as artists is to show all those other moments as well and paint a bigger picture of who we are and the what our day to day lives are and how those impact future situations. And also, like as artists, we've depicted things that we thought maybe at the time weren't important. Like I remember covering a female tanker in, um, this was a training off in 29 Palms, California. And at that time I was like, oh, this is cool, a female tanker. There'll be many more of these down the line. And then we got rid of the tank platoons. So there we are like capturing a moment that will literally most likely never happen again. Um, and so that's why yeah. you have to keep your eyes open for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And well, one of the things also that's valuable about what we do is we, we see ourselves as recording history for we're also we're reaching today's people right today's marines today's sailors today's families of those people right we're reaching those but we're also painting something for the future so they'll look back and a lot of the scenes that are valuable to us um, are scenes that you know marines can relate to i have vietnam veterans come in and they'll see a scene from a fob today and relate to it or vice versa i'll see marines come in from Trinidad see an older scene and relate to it because there's so much commonality in the experience of the marine and the, the equipment may change the uniforms may change but the attitude's the same the experience was the same and it's a great um unifier and i don't know how it, it, it honors them uh, and, it, and it keeps us together it's, um, emotionally i suppose Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we asked our war photographer and, and maybe it's a bit different and and correct me if i'm wrong is he was a civilian who was embedded um, you know, part of our questions to him was, why would you put yourself in this very dangerous situation to capture these, you know, very brief moments uh, to tell this story? Um, but both of you having been enlisted as Marines, uh, you sort of, there's that, that sort of acceptance, like I'm going to be put into a combat situation or I could be put into danger. Um, but how do you keep your artist cap on when you find yourself in a position of, of danger or, or combat? It is something that's unique. I mean, people, um, you're, as, as Mike Faye said, you're a Marine first and an artist mm -hmm. second. So you must, you must be an asset to the platoon and the Marines, you also must survive. Mm -hmm. So you must do your job well as a Marine first. And if you're a civilian artist, you must also make sure that you're a liability, uh, you're, you're an asset. <laughs> not a liability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> make sure you're an asset, not a lot of liability. And you also must, of course, survive and get this image to the people. Um, and, and I guess it's the value of the images that people... We, we all as human beings have in, in us, I believe, a certain sense of that there is a meta narrative. There is something that's higher than just banal uh, everyday life. And that's why even some of those pictures we draw of the banal, uh, commonplace, slice of life things can be very valuable. There's because we are, we see sometimes these, these deeper subtexts and sub narratives, and we try to portray some of these things. And I think some of the most valuable things we do. Or, or maybe even quickly done or expressively done, but they they touch on some of these things that are greater than just what's depicted or greater than every day. 
and there's something in us that needs that. And I think artists sometimes are more tuned into that already. Mm -hmm. um, but that maybe is what makes drives an artist to do it because there's a sense of something greater than yourself. And that's what causes people to serve in, in the first place to, to serve the military. There's something greater than yourself. There's something worth serving and perhaps even dying for. So you go out and you do it. Yeah, I remember when Mike said that to me on the phone, like, make sure you're joining the Marine Corps because you want to be a Marine and artist comes that it took me two years to really decide that and think like, you know, do I just want to have this adrenaline rush as an artist that seems so out there? Or do I actually want to be a Marine and earn that title? And I did, I really wanted to earn that title Marine. And I almost joined under a contract that was like, uh, something way out in left field. Like at least when I did join, I ended up being graphic artist photographer, which was as close as I could get to what I thought combat art artist was. Cause remember at that time, the program didn't have any more funding. So when I joined the Marine Corps, there was no option to be officially under the combat artist program. And, and I really had to be like, okay, yeah, I actually do want to join the Marine Corps to be a Marine. And I want to earn that title and be a really good Marine and, uh, eventually be in charge of Marines and I have this whole life as what it is in the Marine Corps but then I also have this passion as an artist and in mm -hmm. storytelling and all of that but um, yeah you're definitely 100% a Marine full you train like a Marine you go through boot camp just like Marines do and like you are and a that's Marine. what they say right the every Marine a rifleman so it sort of mm -hmm. starts there and then can branch definitely yeah mm -hmm. So that if like the art went away, like you would still be happy with where you are in the Marine Corps and just ha have just as much of a calling to, to serve as you do as an artist. So I think that's what makes our stories so strong too, or mm -hmm. like our ability to share these stories is because we do have such a connection to what it is that we're talking about. Well, speaking of stories, I have to ask you guys my favorite question that I ask every like journalists, photographer, and especially artists that I meet, which is like, I guess it can be a two-part, two-way answer. What is maybe perhaps your favorite, um, like, work that you've done or, like, favorite story that you have about, like, something you saw and, like, the process to capture it? Because I feel like with the way you guys do your art, because it's so unique, perhaps, like, the story behind a piece may be in some ways almost like better or you know more interesting than the piece itself not that any of your pieces would be intriguing but you know what I mean like sometimes the, the story to get there is just as much a part of the work of art I think you nailed it actually <laughs> yeah but, but I mean and everybody always hates when I ask that question too and I hate it when I get it as a journalist like what's your favorite story because it's like how do you how do you pick a favorite but like when I ask you that like what would be the first piece or something that comes to your mind mm -hmm. yeah well for me I always go back to um 2015 when uh this was my deployment with a MU a marine expeditionary unit and this was my first experience where I was like gonna do what I thought again, what combat art was supposed to be and like, how do I approach these situations? Um, and I remember uh, I was with this infantry unit for a year and on like day two of our deployment, our Osprey crashes and two of those Marines pass away, unfortunately. And I, because I was with this unit, I had both photos and all these sketches that I was able to compile and do like these memorial portraits and all this work that I was able to give to the family. And it was that moment where I was like, oh, wow, like what I'm doing as an artist, it, it actually is important and it directly affects people that I've never met and um, gives them a little solace in like what their Marine was doing up to almost their last moments. And so that like that moment was always like a stepping block for me to really go all in on, on what it was that we do. And then everything else is just like, everything's great and I always say like my favorite piece is my next because I'm all in on whatever I'm doing at that moment for me personally. Chris did you have a favorite piece? Well it is hard to choose because I have several that are really really uh, I find fascinating or, or, or um, emotionally satisfying. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that I always point to is it is still one of my favorites if not my favorite that I've ever done it's called a little light reading and it's um, here on in the museum it's on the wall in the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation offices uh, so people can see it here still. Um, 
but it's it's a it's a picture of marines that are gathered around it's it's in the morning it's a little bit cold they're reading uh little novels and, and magazines they've just gotten in the mail from back home and so it's this great little slice of life in a fob and it's it's gotten so much um positive relatability to it but people have told me that they relate to it and i find that that kind of a story is is powerful so um and also it just was funny how it came about because i was in this little fob it was a really small uh, that's a, a forward operating base this was really a patrol base it was a very small um basically a wide spot in the road where they had these things called hesco barriers filled with sand and it made the little sort it was like a little fort and in there they had a little places where they slept places where they ate a little uh sort of outdoor living area and these marines were out there i came out of this little improvised chow hall and i saw these marines sitting there oh, i see it uh, the, the image right here and i saw the light sort of coming through the cami netting and the, the glow and the different things and i saw this scene that seemed almost rockwellian uh and i said i gotta capture this so i got my camera as quick as i could i sketched a few of the marines i took photographs I uh, talked with them a bit about what was going on. And this is also a moment where um, people who weren't there can relate to it because this kind of scene was re replicated throughout Iraq and Afghanistan that Marines for the over the course of a decade can relate to uh, who were over there. Um, and so it, it isn't a combat scene. It's not, um, you know, in that sense, uh, exciting or anything like that. But it is it is still heartfelt and a, a very kind of um, memorable moment for a lot of people that expresses to a lot of people what they what life was like over there. I feel yeah, like I mean, I've heard so many times from people that like how important those moments were yeah, when like yeah. you get mail and like you're able to read like those books from home or those um, you know letters and things like that or even like I you know I saw the one um, gentleman reading a newspaper like I've heard from so many veterans about how important that time was to have you know those moments where you can like read something so that's I I love that well Elise I wanted to, to touch on uh, the fact that uh, are you the only uh, female combat artist from the Marine Corps was there one prior to you or anyone that you looked up to when you came in there's there's been a few female uh, combat artists. One I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Donna Neary. I think she was in the reserves, right, Chris? Yes, yes, um, yes. I met her. Uh, we do a combat art symposium every year where we bring people in, previous combat artists and uh, artists from other branches and such. And I met her uh, about three or four years ago. And I, I remember she was actually one of the people I also talked to in college being like, how do I get to where you are um, and everyone I talked to was very supportive and uh, helped me get onto the trajectory of where I am today but there's not a lot of us but I mean there's not a lot of female marines either so if you're taking what's already a small group chunking it down into an even smaller there's only been about 353 combat artists Chris well I'm, I'm seven so 357 so there hasn't been a lot like less than 400 um of us since 1942. So, I mean. <laughs> You're the fewer, the prouder. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, when you when you join the Marine Corps, you know, you already know you're not going to be in the majority. So, and then if you're joining the Marine Corps as an artist, you're already okay with going down the the path of less traveled. So, <laughs> it's pretty used to it i guess you mentioned being out in the field and doing sketching now i would think you know our, our war photographer talked about yeah when i was embedded it took a while to like gain the trust of those who i was embedded with you already being a marine and coming in and then starting these sketches you mentioned that like they sort of were a bit skeptical of it but then they saw the art of course the sketches that you do will bring them up in a bit for those audience members who are listening please pop over to youtube and you'll be able to see some of this we'll also have links to instagram and pinterest for both chris and elise um but talk a bit about like being with the unit and then starting to draw within that unit it, it me as an artist like I don't want to watch I don't want anybody watching me you know work but like how is that process you know sort of integrated into the unit for well for me um uh going in like as a lance corporal into a a unit of marines I've never met I I don't bring break out my sketchbook at all for mm as long as I can. And I do things like sign up for Firewatch, which 
is something you have to do as a Marine or help carry the water, like make yourself an asset, you know, somebody important around the camp. You're not just there to cover what they're doing. You're also there to help and, and move things along. Um, so it took a while, but sometimes we're in situations where we need to gain their trust really quick. Um, but I would say it takes at least a week uh, of sketching and like doing artwork before they're like, oh, you're kind of cool. We want you out with us on this, but it definitely doesn't happen right away. Now, I, I always joke, it's kind of like Jane Goodall with the apes, you know? She's got to hang around in the, in the periphery and slowly move closer. And Not everybody can be Marine Corps infantry and it, it is a definite um, society and a, a band of brothers, it really is. And so they, you have to gain trust and you have to make them understand that you're one of the people. And it, it does help, of course, that they know that you're a trained Marine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. but whether you're a civilian or Marine, it, it does take a while. Um, but as Elise said, when you when they, you start sketching and they start saying, hey, 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 Frank, look at this, you know, or whatever, they start saying, oh, and they realize that, that you know, the Marine Corps has cared enough to send somebody that, wow, this is an actual MOS or this is, people do this? And so that, it, it spreads like wildfire. And the next thing you know, you're, you're popular. You can, you know, you've proven you can carry your, your weight and you're also uh, kind of special. So yeah. they, they see immediately the value of, of your talent uh, in telling the story. And you certainly it, both have an incredible amount of talent. I'll get to something in a second, at least go ahead. I was gonna say, it's pretty interesting because online um, you'll, still, you'll see people read our stories or like see the word combat art and they'll, they'll instantly be like, ah, what is that? Like that, they don't understand. And you'll, you'll get people like giving you negative feedback for sure. But uh, on location and having a sketchbook, I've never had any issues in my entire Marine Corps career. And, and now with people being like rude or, or anything like that, people really like resonate with it once they actually see it. Um, and it's tough because you want you want everyone, even if they've never seen a combat artist or like been a part of it to like understand what it is. Um, but a lot of times you just have to like be there to really understand. And as an artist, you can't hide a sketchbook. Like if you're taking photos, you can kind of like shoot from the hip, as I like to say, which I did a lot as a as a photographer in the Marine Corps. I was like, do, 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 like, OK, run away. But as a sketchbook. Um, sketch artist, you can't really hide your sketchbook. So at some point, you just have to accept that people are going to see your unfinished sketches and they're going to ask questions. And there's no easy way to get better at that except just to like put yourself in those uncomfortable spots for sure. Chris, I want to show one of the this, the, the pieces of art that, that you've done um, that I pulled from the internet. Uh, this is less uh, on base, I think, and more out in the field. So I'm interested to hear process of sketching out in the field with with foreigners who may have never met an artist before. Now this this is a, this is an oil sketch of mine. Now I didn't do this on location, but um, this is actually also one of my favorites, just color wise and process wise. But it's also a universal sort of meta narrative. So uh, they're watching us, fascinated with these creatures from coming from overseas, and this is Afghanistan, and so. They're watching these Marines come by and just, you know, it's, it's almost like a spectator sport for these kids. Um, and I just was touched by that because everybody knows what it's like to be a kid. Uh, kids are universal. Uh, they're not burdened by a lot of perhaps political things or geopolitical struggles. Um, they do, it does affect them in their local lives, of course, but they, um, it's a universal story and it's a, it's a heart touching story. So I couldn't help but want to paint this. As an artist too, just expressive painting is fun and, and um, colorful painting is fun. But uh, it gave me a chance to, to um, be more expressive with, with you know, some of its palette knife and some of its you know, dragging color across a layer of previous color. And it's, it's letting paint meld in. It's, it's a little expressionistic, a little bit impressionistic, but it's also, it tells a narrative. So it doesn't abandon the narrative for the sake of formal painting quality. So it has both a fun paint and an interesting story. There's a lot of technique uh, that you that you sort of just uh, that you went over here, and I had written down in, in my notes of. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing this was not near the beginning of your time as an artist. I'm guessing you grew into this level of art, and how oh, yeah. do you grow as an artist uh, as a combat yeah. artist? I guess. Well, like Lee said, you have to just kind of do it. There's no way to get around it. There's no mm -hmm. shortcut. So, um, and I always say I have my master's degree now. 
So, but I got it with the new GI Bill and I was very fortunate to be allowed to go and get my master's degree uh, with uh, what we call permissive TAD while I was on active duty and the new GI Bill paid for almost all of it. So it was a wonderful program. But I always like to say that my actual master's program in painting happened in the Marine Corps on active duty doing artwork full time. I, my work progressed you know, exponentially over the course of that several years, you know? So it was an intensive master's program in, in sketching and, and, you know, painting and, and even sculpture. Um, yeah, that I would have not had the opportunity to do if it hadn't been for the Marine Corps, um, get it, putting me on active duty. I know that you got to leave uh, here in just a couple of minutes, Chris. So before you uh, pop off the podcast, I wanted to ask you about the museum, um, what the mission is there, how a combat artist could come into it. Uh, you know, give us sort of an, an overview of somebody who might want to come in, and see a lot of this art. Oh, good deal. Well, we at the National Museum of the Marine Corps, we're here in Quantico, Virginia. We're right off of 95 and we're open every day of the year except for Christmas. Uh, and we, um, the only restrictions I think we have now are that masks are required but please feel free to come on in. There's a great art gallery with a, a wonderful show by Mary White, some watercolors of veterans from all 50 states. I highly recommend that show. Um, there is all the wonderful exhibits we have going on. There's even some construction uh, back on the other side of the, the hallway over here uh, for the new exhibits that are gonna be opening soon. So um, they can come in, they can see us working. Our studio here has uh, these big windows. And so I've had to get used to people seeing me work all the time <laughs> now. But uh, they can come and uh, knock on the door if it's not open or walk in if it's open. And I, I'd be glad to chat with them. At least uh, we'll chat with them. We can talk about what we do. Um, you can see work in process. And that's a fascinating thing, too. Mm -hmm. How many people are there? There are a lot of Marines, uh, like Elise, that come in and, and develop their works there. We don't have as many as we have had in the past. Right now, we have some people that are stationed in other places. But we have what we call also a second Saturday event. So every second Saturday of the month, we have people... Anybody that's around can come in, whether it's civilian or Marines, and come in uh, at like 10 a.m. in the morning, and it's just a two or three hour event. We will have a, a subject matter. For example, sometimes we've had people pose in Marine Corps gear, and so we'll do a traditional sketching uh, figure drawing class with gesture drawings all the way up to longer figure drawings. We've had lessons in sculpture, how to build an armature, how to start doing things, how to do certain parts of it, mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things about any kind of artist-related thing. So, um, and also we have a symposium once a year where we draw in combat artists from the Air Force, the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy, and civilian artists as well. And we sort of uh, compare our best practices, as they say, and, uh, and share our experiences from the year. And that's a great thing, too. But we are open as, as a studio uh, every day. So. Yeah, and we have our, um, our uh, Facebook and Instagram oh, yes. pages, USMC Combat Art, which, you know, if, you, if somebody watching this is like, well, that's interesting. And they have an epiphany moment like we had before we were part of the program. They can reach out to us there as well um, through Messenger or hop on over to the museum and talk to Chris. But we're, we're pretty prominent online and in person, so it shouldn't be too hard to, to find us. Um, yeah. And I love the education component that you guys are bringing because like Sean and I both said, I mean, I had did not even know that combat art existed. And now I know so much more about it after like seeing the incredible work that you guys do and speaking to both of you. So I love that, you know, people are able to come see you and talk to you and interact. And that's such like a, you know, at least you mentioned it, like a, a learning thing and people may be sparked to have the same love of it that you guys do. And I just, I think that's, an incredible mission within itself is to continue to educate the public about what you guys do. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, well, at least I want to get to some of your art as well and, and have you tell us a couple stories about uh, anything. But I, what I'd like to do is actually bring up your Instagram. Um, it's filled with a lot of your art, a lot of your sketches. And uh, <laughs> let's, let's pop over to there now. How did you pick the your ink stick art? <laughs> that was around the same time when I learned about the combat art program. And like I said, I didn't have a background, military background. So when I was looking up terminology of the Marine Corps, they kept referring to a pen as an ink stick. And I was like, oh, at this time, all I drew in was ink. And I was like, this is perfect. I'm gonna start calling myself ink stick art. So for years before I was even in the Marine Corps, I started going by that online and it's just kind of stuck. Uh, it's a part of who I am now, I can't change it. <laughs> Yeah. Is there a particular one that, that you have a story behind? Um, boy, 
this is why I, I would think that, you know, you're sitting in the unit and you start sketching and, you, and somebody walks past and thinks, oh, it's, you know, she's probably just drawing something. And then they see this and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I like to, like, when I do bring a sketchbook out, I've learned that I always try to have a few finished sketches in there so that if I am drawing uh, early on and I feel like I'm losing their interest, I can flip back to these more finished drawings and be like, yeah, this is what it'll look like. I promise you. Uh, it'll look really cool in the end. And so you can kind of regain their their uh, interest. Um, this was a sketch of- This is behind uh, you we were, as well here in your Yeah, this is behind studio. me. So that's a Quantico, Virginia, Camp Upshur. And this was in the chow hall where the refugees were, um, refugees were getting their food. And this lady was handing out these big oranges to all the kids and they were falling everywhere. And it was quite comical. Uh, and then, so I did sketch that moment and then I took that moment and made it more of a, uh, finished little painting here. Uh, mm -hmm. but that was so one did of you the, paint, did you paint right over this sketch then? So you had the outline or did you paint on other like, yeah, so I have the sketch that I did on location, which is actually in the comet art collection now. And that sketch is just the girl. Uh, there was no, there was no worker there handing out the oranges and I was looking back at my photos and sketches and I'm thinking wow I missed an opportunity of like a connection so I redid the sketch put the the lady in into it and then turned that into I painted right over that sketch but the in initial on location sketch is archived in the collection now so they'll have that forever and then this will get submitted at a later date it's all incredibly detailed yeah, a lot of these are, you know, when I left the Marine Corps, I wanted to explore more with mediums and I've used a lot of pastels and charcoal and colored pencil in the last seven, eight months. But most of my location sketches are in this Prisma colored pencil. Um, one of my art mentors, Victor Juhas, would always draw in blue pencil. And I was like, why, why are you using a blue pencil instead of black? And he told me, he's like, because black is so permanent and it can be really scary to have something like that because you can't erase Prismacolor. It's there once the line is down. But if you use a blue pencil, it's a little less strenuous on your eyes and you have mm. a little more confidence as an artist going in. You can always go back over it with a black pencil um, if you wanted, but that's why you see a lot of blue, blue sketches. Um, this was a, this is actually a digital painting of a training op in, um, 29 Palms, California. And this is one of those situations where it was a sequence of events where the Osprey at the top flew in, the um, LAV came in behind it and the Marines came out of there, assessed this was a practice on how to handle casualties or injured Marines. And then they put them in the Osprey and the Osprey flew away. But that was a 15, 20 minute training op and I decided to take all those moments and put it into one image so that you can see like what they did. But that actual event, you know, was compressed into to what you see. That's amazing. The depth of it too, I found like really striking, like how the, you know, the gentleman at the front is so much, I guess, like his colors deeper than the ones in the background that kind of shows some depth. It's great. Yeah, I, I really like painting digitally because it gives me more freedom. There's a there's not a supplies issue, you know, digital is endless. Um, but when I graduated art school, I was thinking I'll never do traditional work. I thought I was going to be like a concept artist for movies or, or TV. And I was just going to do digital forever. And then when I learned about the program and realized that it's all traditional, I was like, oh, wow, that's, I don't do this at all. So I started practicing my traditional drawing and I've really over the years fallen in love with it. Um, and, but I see a benefit to digital in terms of being able to explore different colors without a, a supplies waste and then be able to transfer that and paint it in oils or acrylics if you want, but they definitely go hand in hand. And I'm really uh, happy that I've been able to do both. <laughs> I just want to bring this one up for two reasons. Number one, I just recently watched the Mandalorian and I loved, I love this. Nice. So I see a fellow <laughs> Star Wars fan here, but if my two-year-old daughter took her Etch-a-Sketch and like <laughs> popped this out, I would be like, 
Oh my, yes, look at this. Yes, Mickey Mouse, my face. So we're, we're getting into my, uh, you know, as an artist, I, I do more than combat art, of course, <laughs> right? I have a freelance career of, I do animation and portrait work and all kinds of things. And then this is something I, I have a, a pretty good following on, on TikTok where I get a lot of younger, a younger audience and I teach art on there. And one thing I started doing was these 30 second videos of drawing on these old kids toys. And it took off like one of my first videos got like 9 million views and it was just a little 30 second video, of a little character. So I like to do these every now and then just for fun and people like it. Cause again, they can relate to it. They're like, oh, we used these toys growing up. Yeah, but nobody um, used them like this. this yeah, <laughs> I didn't either. All, I found it in a drawer one day and I was like, oh, this is fun. Like I'm gonna draw on this and it just, this is that wonderful uh what were they the memes from years ago where there'd be six different pictures and be like when i do art this is what my mom thinks i'm doing what my boyfriend thinks i'm doing yeah. what, and then what like, i'm actually what, doing <laughs> this is what i think i'm doing and what yeah. i'm actually doing is some like you know stick figure thing <laughs> yeah they're really they're really fun and yo for anyone watching if you lack confidence or or you rely heavily on like an eraser or something i say either draw with colored prismacolors that don't erase or use one of these because you, you know, if you want to do another one, you have to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a fun little thing. How, and then my last question about this, because this has nothing to do with Marine Corps, but how do you do this? And then not just go buy another Fisher Price one so that you can keep this because you have to erase it. And that's <laughs> got to be a little bit painful. Yeah, I think I've learned over the years that, you know, I'm not, I don't love every drawing and I'm very easy to just like toss it and do another one. I've been known to erase whole drawings and start over again um so it's easy for me to be like, okay it's just for fun there's there's something nice about it's kind of like running without a watch for anyone if you're like you rely heavily on your watch when you're out on a run you kind of lose that connection to, to the run so sometimes you go out without a watch and you just you just go run it's the same thing like you mm -hmm. know at the end you're gonna have to erase the drawing so it's just nice and kind of less stressful in a way i love that you got to relax into what you love every now and again, right? Yes. You know, even, yeah. even, yeah. you know, I'd imagine people who are enlisted would tell you that, or you would feel, you know, you would feel that way. Like when you get those moments to relax, you got to take them in life. Right? Yes. hundred percent. A lot of something that I think holds back people from pursuing art is like every time they put the pencil on the paper, they think it has to be the most perfect drawing they've ever done. And so maybe that does stem back to combat art and learning that not every drawing is gonna be a masterpiece and you just have to keep going and keep working through that. And uh, every 100 drawings, you'll get one winner, so. I can think of no better note to end on here, but um, Elise, really uh, just an awesome conversation to have with you. I really appreciate both of us, Catherine and I both really appreciate your time, you yeah. and Chris. Um, I hope that all of our listeners get a chance to go visit the museum, see more of your art, visit your Instagram and your TikTok. Um, you're an incredible <laughs> talent, um, which I, I'm so happy to use this platform to share with our audience and, and more. Um, so uh, best of luck to you as you continue your career throughout uh, all of this, um, this crazy you. world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, who knows where I'll be in 10 years or like you know, you'll have to loop back around and see what's going on. Um, I'll always be in the combat artist program, but, you know, things change every year. It's crazy. It's totally, fun especially though. for storytellers. Storytellers, yeah. just we are finding different ways to tell stories and, you know, there's never a shortage of them. Yeah, for sure. And to our listeners, please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube, uh, follow us, send me a link, uh, an email, uh, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org org um uh go visit the websites please check it all out and uh thank you to our sponsors dnd auto salvage and tobacco free adagio health uh thank you always to our sponsors for helping us out uh in producing uh this podcast uh at least hopefully we get the chance in 10 years to loop back around that's right thank you so much appreciate the time thank you catherine thank you guys